This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. My guest today is Mary Custer, the dazzling blonde soprano who is the opera sensation of the year. And just seven years ago, Mary was doing TV commercials while studying to be an opera singer. This year, she scored a triumphant debut with the Metropolitan Opera. Miss Mary Costa has been described as beautiful and vivacious, with an extraordinary figure and enormous enthusiasms. The critics have praised her talents as stunning from every standpoint. Her voice as velvety in texture and capable of a wide range of expression. Mary, I have never read such rave reviews. They just love you everywhere. I, I don't think I'd better say anything. You just talk, <laughs> and I'm going to stay quiet. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you that I attended a performance of yours at the Hollywood Bowl one night. There were so many bravos and cheers that the show had to come to a complete stop. Now, Mary, I was there. I was part of that cheering audience. You, you really are amazing. Where did your love of the opera come from? Let's start with that, Mary. I think probably before I was born, because my mother uh, was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and used to go to Atlanta to the opera when they had uh, Geraldine Farrar, Rosa Poncel, the wonderful greats of the golden age. And she had always loved opera. And then after I was born, she had a, a lot of operatic recordings that I cut my teeth on as a child, you know? You say before you were born. Do you think that's really possible that a mother can instill that in a child? You know, I. I really think so, because both parents were musical. At the time, she, my mother wanted to go on the stage, which was in high school. It was really, a, you know, a disgrace. I mean, it was not, a, you know, allowed, because it was not ladylike at the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think she always had a love of music and the stage, as did my father. And I think so. I really think so. You get you your know, beauty from your mother? Oh, you're very nice. I, I think my mother's very beautiful. She thinks uh, the worst part is in the middle. That's what she tells me, you see. I can't quite figure that out. But she's been very lovely and, and a, a great inspiration to me. But I must tell you something, and I shouldn't insult you now so early in the program, but do you know I've been told on many, many occasions that I resemble you? Insult me? <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a great compliment. I wish it were true. Well, I want to tell you, looking at you now, there, there is something there. Well, we have wide set eyes, and they're blue. Let's <laughs> uh, leave it like I wish I had your mouth, your teeth, your talent, beautiful skin, your... Uh, Italian father and an Irish mother, is That's that right. true? Yes. What a wonderful combination. Well, I, I think they thought so, too. Wonderful. He was, uh, my grandfather was born in Palermo, and my father was born in Tallahassee, Florida. Hmm. So then he kind of migrated to Atlanta, where my mother met him, going to the opera, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, Are you so an only child? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. But my mother was one of uh, 13, and so I've grown up with cousins that have been like brothers and sisters to me, and I've been uh, one of the youngest, so I, I, I feel like I'm kind of, uh, you can't use henpecked, I've got to use something else. <laughs> but I mean, I had a wonderful time, but not an easy time with all of these uh, boys, older and everything. But they're now, I tell you, my cousins, I'm very proud of because three of them are Baptist ministers. Oh. And they were so mean growing up. <laughs> <laughs> they had to become I ministers to redeem <laughs> themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're really wonderful. Mary, um, I know you get asked these questions all the time, but only because there are many, many thousands of people who really want the answers. And ours is a new show, so my listeners are interested. They want to know how you prepare for a role. Well, in the last about 
six years, I have learned 28 operatic roles, and I have learned three concert programs of about 30 songs each, in which I have German leader and folk songs, French art songs, and then I've had to, to learn many, many orchestral works. So to prepare for them, I have, you know, really worked all the time, and I think maybe the greatest gift that, that I have been given is memory, because I do memorize very easily. But this is not all of it, because once you memorize a new opera, then the hard part comes when you start to sing these notes into the voice. I mean, most people will say, well, you mean you just can't pick up a song and sing it? Or you can't pick up an aria and sing it? You know how to sing. Well, it isn't a matter of that, but it's just that, that every new piece of music has different intervals in it and you have to get your vocal cords used to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, for instance, when a, when a track runner goes out to uh, run the mile, he doesn't run the whole mile at once or he would really be mm -hmm. completely shot, you know? Yes. And it's the same way with an operatic role. I always like to have time to learn them slowly. And you know, in, in this day and time, when you, when you have so many things, luckily for me, to do, you know, and so many places to perform, I have to learn them as fast as I can, but still I, I like to give them just as much time, I suppose, the fastest I've ever learned to roll was two weeks, which I didn't like doing at all. Because, honestly, I learned it so fast that I performed it three times, and then I put it away because it was um, a little-known opera. It was, you know, very seldom done. And then someone asked me to do it about a year ago, and I'd forgotten everything I'd done. Because you forgotten the whole thing, because I hadn't properly digested it. Yes. Did so I think that people, I'm glad you asked me this, because uh, <laughs> I think people re don't realize how much work goes into the preparing of a career. What about the other, the languages? Did you do the languages in school from a very early age? No, I didn't. And as a matter of fact, my father didn't speak Italian to me either. He just didn't do this as a child, which I wish he had. So I have had to work very hard on learning Italian and learning French. And I've had a tutor, very frankly, to do this because I didn't have time to, to in school, you know, you can learn a lot. And I did have French, I did have Spanish in school and also Latin. You don't know the value of it at that age. No, you don't. You know, this is the whole thing that I, that I would like to be able to tell. You know, people will say, what advice do you have to give to young people? Well, you know, I don't have any answers. I don't think I will if I'm 90 years Why? old. Why? You just had one right there. Well, you think that's an answer? Well, of course, children don't particularly like taking languages. They know uh, because they hear so much from their parents that naturally it's going to be helpful to them in uh, later life. But unless they have their later life planned, they mm -hmm. don't believe it. This mm -hmm. is the main, main uh, problem that I feel, and I wish with all my heart that I hadn't wasted so much time, because, I mean, I love to have fun. I, I, I like the discipline of a career because uh, it makes me do things. Of course, I love singing. Sing, singing is a, is a wonderful kind of inner expression for me. I mean, it kind of spills over from me because because it always has. I mean, my mother used to smack me to shut me up when I was a child, <laughs> you know? But, uh, but I really Each wish... Each smack was <laughs> worth about a half a million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't know about that, but I wish that, um, that she... Well, she, she did. She encouraged me to do things. But, you know, uh, things that were easy for me, I loved doing. What I loved she... art. I loved English. Mathematics, I could not stand, you know. Mm. I wouldn't learn to tell time. I remember the teacher in the seventh grade. Now, I want to listen to this. I have never said this before, and I really shouldn't say it. <laughs> I sound really idiotic. But the teacher in the seventh grade, I had a mental block against learning to tell time, like some people do about tying their shoes. 
And I remember in the seventh grade, I hated to stay in class, and the teacher would say, would someone see what time it is, you know? And I'd put my hand up, and out I'd go in the hall, and I'd have to wait for somebody else to come by to ask them what time it is so I could go back to tell. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Well, Mary, since you brought up the subject of time, I'm sorry to say that our time is up for today, and we haven't even begun to talk about your exciting career. Would you please come back again tomorrow? Fine, thank you. Thank you, and bye-bye, Mary. Hi, this is Lucy. Again today, my guest is the lovely and talented operatic star, Mary Costa. Mary, let's get back to what you were saying yesterday about your preparing for a role. Besides learning the languages and besides taking enough time to learn the intervals, as you say, piece by piece, bit by bit, how do you get the meaning that you put into a song? Now, Mary, this has been talked about so much, the thrilling understanding that you give a song. Now, do you approach it the same way that we do a dramatic or a comedy piece? How do you get the character of the role? Well, with a composer like Verdi, who composed Traviata, which was my debut at the Metropolitan and a role that I've enjoyed very much, he was such a dramatic composer. Of course, Traviata was taken from uh, Dumas, Alexander Dumas' Camille. And I remember how I loved seeing that on the screen with Robert Taylor and Greta Garbo. And when Verdi took this libretto and composed Traviata, he was such a, a dramatic composer and took it from the words itself that if you properly learn that opera, you're, and if you really can, can um, well, I suppose we'll say would submerge yourself in the role. Emotionally. Emotionally. And that's another thing I'd love to, to talk to you about, in the emotional, how to, I mean, the emotional part of a role. But if you can really learn this role, and he has all of the markings on the score when he wants you soft, when he wants you loud, when he wants it to build and everything, it's all right in there. That's why Verdi is, is I think, maybe my favorite composer. Then you're ready to go on the stage with it. If you have a good, good director to, to tell you where to stand and to work with the people and you're working with. And to follow Verdi. And to follow Verdi, that's yes. it. I mean, it's not a matter. There have been great traditions in the past where people have added things that were good for their voice, you know? I mean, coloraturas who had certain high notes that were not written in the score, and they figure, well, now we're going to stop, and I want to put something in that's good for me. Yes. Well, some of these traditions are wonderful. But today, to take a score like Verdi and Traviata that has been done so many times, or Puccini's Bohème, and completely pretend that this opera has been written maybe a year ago or two weeks ago and refresh it and really find in that what those composers have tried to do. This is the exciting part because I have heard and seen very few operas. There wasn't a chance to see it when I, when I was in Tennessee. No operas were coming through there. And when I did Traviata, I, had, I hadn't seen that. When I, had, when I sang Bohème, my debut in San Francisco, Musetta, I hadn't heard Bohème. So they all are as if they could have been written, you know, two weeks ago for me. Marvelous. I had no idea. I thought that you had seen every opera that mm -hmm. was ever done. No, goodness, no. Mm -mm. And hadn't even heard records. No, I purposely do not work with records because I feel that, you know, there's a, there's a big argument whether a singer, an opera singer, is a creative person, a creative performer. And I feel that they are because you interpret the score that has been written and that that little nth degree that you can put into it making it your individual portrayal would be ruined if you listen to someone if else if you listen to someone else yes i never like to see a, a stage play of something i might be doing a picture of mm -hmm. i don't like to see someone else do 
do it. Nor do I. Nor do I. The uh, emotional uh, part that you were talking about. First, I want to ask a question, and then you go on and, you and remember what you were going to say. When you have to get terribly emotional in a in a part, uh, there is there must be great discipline that you have to have to keep from getting morbid. What is the word? Um, well, um, to keep from completely losing yourself yeah, losing and completely control losing control of your vocal cords. That's absolutely true. And and the funny thing is that even some of my closest friends have said to me, Mary, you know, you've got to control yourself because maybe you you know you're giving so much that it might affect your voice, you know. But I don't think they really realize, I mean, that I don't lose that much control. Mm -hmm. I get very involved in the music because music moves me. I'm the biggest ham in the world. I mean, I can sit and listen to beautiful music and just sob, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and, and really be completely carried away. But on the stage... Um, you have disciplined yourself. I have disciplined myself. I, I am very moved by it, but not to the point where I would lose control. Right. Because I don't think you have to completely break down to, to, to move an audience, you know? No, and sometimes you know it works just the opposite. It, very much so. If you get too lost in a role, you lose your audience Makes and you nervous. lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to keep control. Helen Hayes is a marvelous example of that. Oh, I admire her so much. Yes. Yes, I watched her. I have uh, had a couple of things, not very much that have I done in a dramatic field, nor have I ever wanted to, but I can be easily moved. But the most wonderful thing that you did that Wonderful dramatic portrayal in the big street. Big street, yes. Oh. That's about the only thing I've ever done that was even close to that. As I say, I don't care too much about them. I find them very easy to do, much easier than comedy. But I found out that you have to keep yourself under control or you're just maudlin. That was the word absolutely, I was trying to absolutely. find. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Well, the, um, the research on opera then and all the things that you have learned you have learned for each opera as it came along. Yes, I have. You didn't mm -hmm. just start out listening to every opera in the world. Oh, not at all. You took them one by one, and uh, you learned about composers and uh, and the people connected with opera as it approached in your career. That's right. That's right. Because there are many roles right now that I would like to do, but I wouldn't touch them now because... You have to wait, I feel, for a certain maturity in the voice, in the vocal cords, in your whole, uh, your whole stage presence. I, I, that, that's one of the exciting things for me, is to wait to be able to do these, these roles, like Tosca and Madame Butterfly. And no one else can tell you when you're ready. You know yourself. I think you know yourself, and I think that uh, the vocal cords are a lot stronger than most people think they are, you know? Uh, but, but I think that you, you just cannot rush yourself to go into too heavy things because at an early time and you're, it, it's too there's too much and too, then then you too lose overwhelming something that i i really can't stand is i think that in a voice and there, there are many many beautiful voices today and the ones that i admire most are the ones that have a fresh youthful romantic quality i don't mean how big or small they are but if they have that freshness that sparkle in it and i think if you start pushing your voice into a, a sound or a tone that isn't really your own tone, I think that you're just defeating everything because I think every voice has an individual quality. And some people, you know, will get very enamored with another person. They say, oh, golly, you know, and they listen to records and I want to sing just like her. And the way she says that, oh, I want to say the oh just like that and the ah, you know, the, all the vowels. And they finally end up not, not being themselves. 
No, I no. think individuality is so so important. Yes, but so few people uh, have any idea how to acquire it. They only know uh, to imitate someone to get started, and in, in imitating them at the beginning, they forget that well, they they have to have this in their mind uh, from the very beginning that they don't want to copy anyone to make sure that they don't. The main thing that I feel also is that if you do copy someone with with the dramatic acting or with the tone or whatever they do on stage, you can never copy them because you can never create what they were thinking in the beginning. You can never create their thought processes, you know? Oh, Mary, dear, I'm so sorry to have to interrupt at this point, but we've run short of time again. It's been so much fun chatting today. Won't you come back tomorrow? Fine, thank you. Thank you, Mary Costa. Hi, this is Lucy. Mary Costa is back as my guest today. Mary, for the last couple of days, we have been discussing your amazing career, how you started only seven years ago doing television commercials, and today, here you are, this year's opera sensation. How does a young person, male or female, in any ordinary town who aspires to be an opera singer, get started? Well, the only thing that I would say is that any time they can get up in front of an audience is tremendously important, because I have always suffered from great, great nerves, you know, and I'd always kind of not want to come up at bat. I would think, well, I can do this, and I can do that, and I can sing better than that one or this one, you know, but I wouldn't do it. And the only way you can find out about yourself or find out about what audiences feel about you is to get up. And I have sung in churches and weddings and funerals and... Audiences in your hometown, any hometown, are the same type of people that you'd find any place in the world. Audiences are the same all over the world. That's for sure. And it's very good advice. These poor young people who think they have to run to a big city. Not at all. Uh, they sort of get lost in a mass of, oh, I don't know, just trying to uh, eat and stay alive, and they kind of forget what they came to the big city for. It's very not true. Prepared. Very, very true. On my concert tours, I have been very, very flattered and happy to have a, many, many young people attend the concerts. And I mean from 10 years old, some smaller than that and I must say they do stay awake at least for the first half <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, they always come back and they want so to know what steps they should take well it's very difficult to say because every career every life takes on a different pattern of course. you can't say well you know her career is like hers it's taking the same steps that's not true at all not at all because everybody could write a book on how their life has been you know why did you do TV commercials well to tell you the truth I did them on a dare I used to get a little depressed because I really didn't know what direction to go into. I didn't know, I thought maybe I'd like to go into pictures. I wanted to be on television. Uh, I knew I wanted to sing, but I, I had not, didn't have the discipline to sit down and start working. I think I was a, a little lazy, but maybe a little more than a little, but I wanted also to have fun and I wanted to have dates and everything and, and I and I wasted a lot of time. I met a lot of nice people, but I wasted <laughs> a lot of time. Well you certainly changed the face of commercials. Well, you put a, a very high caliber commercial on the air for the first time. Well, someone called me at my home and said, Would I audition for commercials? And I said I wouldn't be caught dead doing commercials. I thought they were a step down. And I don't know from what, because I wasn't doing anything, you know? <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, you know... <laughs> Do you know Ken Murray? Yeah, I love well, Ken. Ken Murray was sitting in the living room, and he said, you know... <laughs> 
I don't, I don't want to put a damper on this whole thing, but I don't think you'll get them, frankly. And uh, may I say who they were for? I suppose everybody knows for the Chrysler, Chrysler Corporation. Uh, Corporation. Can't even say it now. It's like an actor saying he didn't, he doesn't uh, want to be anything else. Although he has never had a job and has has always been just an out of work actor. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, Ken Murray, Ken Murray said to me, "I really don't think you will you will get it because you'll be up against you know many many more people in the business who are far more experienced than you." And uh, he said, why don't you try? Because if you did, it would be wonderful publicity for you, although I don't think you're going to get it, see? That was so a challenge, I think. <laughs> That's why you took it. Now I found out why you did the TV commercials. <laughs> I think you just need one big, fat challenge, Mary. I think it was because I think for the first time, although it wasn't giving me a chance to uh, be important in what I wanted to be important in, that was singing. I mm -hmm. wanted to sing. At least I was standing for something for the first time. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that when I first started doing the commercials, I was frightened to death. But they didn't ask me, you know, what my experience was. And if I'd had to list it, you know, we'd had a blank sheet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I began, they began putting me on from week to week and thought that I was a New York actress. Uh -huh. And here I had done absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, week to week and week to week, I didn't make any mistakes. I wasn't using a teleprompter or the so-called idiot cards, you uh -huh. know, that they hold up in front uh -huh. of you. And then all of a sudden, one day, a friend said to me, do you realize when that little red light goes on that camera, 30 million people are looking at you? <laughs> I began using idiot cards, teleprompters, and everything, you know? And, and I tell you, I began thinking that this was such a challenge for me to be able to do this because with a television commercial, I think people don't realize how difficult they are. You have absolutely no mask to hide behind. You're not doing a part, and you have to sell yourself first to be able to sell your product. Well, I had never sold myself, or at least I didn't feel in any way because I didn't know what myself was, you know? Mm -hmm. I hadn't found my personality, and in a way, I'm glad that I didn't. I mean, I. I I was, I was honest to people, I, I tried to do the best I could, but I was terribly bashful because I think teenagers go through problems, for instance, I couldn't stand my nose. I felt like I looked like an albino rabbit, you know, I had very little eyes and I felt they were small. I little mean, eyes? No, they've grown a little. <laughs> I stretch them every morning. <laughs> but I wore no mascara or, you know, eye makeup and I was very, very blonde and I felt like my nose looked like... Um, <laughs> Something w. should be C. on Lincoln's too. No, <laughs> W.C. Fields, absolutely. And so I always tell someone, if they say, oh, really? Because they seem to think that my nose is okay, which I do now. It breathes well. But, <laughs> but I feel like I've kind of grown up to my nose. And now I kind of like it. And at one time... Well, your mind is on something else Well, my now. mind is on something else. I don't keep looking at my nose all yeah. the time, see? That's a usual teenage preoccupation too much interest in the self. Isn't that true? Yeah. Isn't that true? They think everyone is looking at just them, and they don't know that everyone is just looking at themselves. Oh, absolutely <laughs> true. But I mean, I think it takes I think it takes time to find out really who you are. Yes, did you, did you find out who, whom you were in a TV commercial? Well, I think I began to... Have more to confidence? Have more confidence, and to... Um, know that you could accomplish something even though you're... You didn't know too much about it, so that you dared to start out on new adventures? Absolutely true, and also that people were beginning to think that I was very, very good in my work. This, this at least for one time in my life, 
I felt like, well, this this is this is me right now. This, I mean, I stand for these commercials, and I'm doing them as, as best I can. And uh, it was an original. It was an original. Yes, that's that's the thing. Absolutely, that's, that's thrilling. Because if I had it to do over again, I would do those commercials. Yes, I wouldn't change. And you know a thing. that no one else could do them the way you did them, and that's the important. Well, not with some of the mistakes I made, I can tell. <laughs> you know what I did one day? I sold a car. Uh, I was so proud. I had three paragraphs, and I was to the very last of the third paragraph. And on the screen underneath me, they had the price of the car, which was $2,735. And I said, you can buy this car at factory retail prices in Detroit for only $7,235. Can you believe that? How did you do that? <laughs> it was easy. <laughs> it was easy. <laughs> what happened? Well, it was the most wonderful, thrilling thing because people wrote in all over the nation saying, now, don't you chide Mary for that. She didn't mean to do that. And they knew the price of the car better, if I, even if I had said the right price. They knew it much better this way. Well, that certainly showed your sponsors that people were listening and watching. And I'm sure, Mary, that the musical world will be watching and listening to you for many years to come. God bless. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, dear. My thanks to Miss Mary Costa for being such a delightful guest. See you all tomorrow. Bye. Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.